AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldus.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Hello and welcome to another cybersecurity episode of the AI in Action podcast. I am your host, John Petherbridge. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Vanessa Pigueros, the Chief Information Security Officer at OneLogin. This conversation covers a lot of ground and Vanessa breaks down the value of management versus leadership, ownership and influence, as well as the importance of having your security leader report to the top level of the organization. Enjoy the show. My name is Vanessa Figueros, and I have been in cybersecurity for 18 years. Uh, I have uh, worked in large companies, over 200,000 people, to companies of 300 people. Um, I've worked within the telecommunications industry, the banking industry, uh, software as a service industry, uh, hospitality, e-com industry. Uh, so I have a broad um, breadth of experience both in the different verticals as well as um, different size companies. And uh, I first went into security in um, wireless company, AT&T Wireless. And I always tell the story that um, I didn't actually choose security, security chose me. And okay. when, I was, <clears throat> when I was working at AT&T Wireless, I was in charge of a, a, a large engineering and architecture team looking at advanced wireless technologies. Um, at the same time, um, there was a new uh, head of security at AT&T Wireless and she uh, conducted an outside uh, red team exercise uh, where the, a third party would come in and test to see how much uh, they could essentially hack into the environment. Well, they were able to hack into pretty much everything. Now, of course, this was decades ago almost and back in like yeah. 2002 um so they were able to um get into everything uh, including some detailed customer databases uh so i was uh the executive vice president who was in charge of the entire a and wireless na na nationwide network in the u.s um basically uh, pulled one of his vps in and said I need you to go de dedicate a director to fix security. So I got pulled into the office by that VP and he's like, guess what? You're going to go fix security. And I was like, had no idea what that actually meant. Um, but I basically um, said, okay. And uh, that's how I got into security. And um, <clears throat> I guess the big lesson for me career wise is uh, you never know when, um, uh, a door an unexpected door is going to open and like really think about it before you you know turn it down or you feel like well I don't know anything about that I can't do that because I really didn't know much about security but I said okay it sounds fun and I decided to do it and I've been 18 years later it's been one of the best choices I've made from a career standpoint wow well wow, that's that really is a case of um yeah kind of falling into it and uh, kind of feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Um, 
obviously, so you, you mentioned you have like your, your background is quite technical and you, you've led engineering teams and, and technology is not something that scared you. Um, your career has clearly obviously progressed in the last 18 years and you've, you've held the role of, of CISO across a number of different industries since then. Um, at what point did you feel you wanted to transition into, I suppose, more leadership focused um, as opposed to, to being kind of hands-on technical or even driving engineering teams? Yeah, so actually that too was a little bit influenced by uh, one of my my first uh, supervisors out of college. Um, he, I hired on as an engineer and I was doing hands-on engineering work. And he, for whatever reason, he was an older guy at the time. I mean, I'm just out of college, uh, probably like 22. And he was probably at that time, 45, 46, you know, could have been late forties. And he, um, he said, you know, he goes, he just saw something in me. He says, I, I really think you're, uh, you'd be good managing people and, um, you, you know, technical people. And so he gave me an uh, uh, administrative assistant to manage. <laughs> I think she knew more than me uh, about managing people than I did at the time, but um, she was really, uh, I learned a lot from her and, um, and I learned a lot about just my own, like, I think sometimes people see things in you that you don't always see right away. And, what I did learn is um, I did really like uh, leading teams, managing people. Uh, managing is different than leading though. So managing to me is more about, you know, you get a, you get a set of work and you have to go um, get your team to go accomplish that work where I feel like leadership is inspiring people to figure out what their work is. You give them the very high level goal and then you let them, you know, give them the freedom and flexibility to go accomplish that goal and, and inspire them and, and equip them with resources, which is leadership. So I, early on, I adopted like, oh, I'm interested in management. Um, but it wasn't until probably maybe like eight to 10 years into my career where I actually, you know, decided, and I say decided because I think leadership is a very intentional thing. For me, my approach to leadership is one of um, a lot of responsibility, responsibility for the people in your team, responsibility to helping them achieve success, and you really impact them at a human level, um, their lives, their livelihood. Um, and so for me, just the concept of leadership was taking on a responsibility similar to like a family. And okay. so, um, that was not, it was a very intentional decision for me. Um, but I did decide I, I wanted to do this. Yeah, so I guess just looking at your, your, your profile here as well, and like what you explained, about the last 11 years or so, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been predominantly in a, a CISO capacity. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. So that has been across the, um, the hospitality, banking, and, and software as a service. Um, side of things so mm -hmm. you, you, you've, you've seen a lot like what are the kind of key challenges or, or core challenges that you face when you take on a role as a CISO or what have you identified that that may even cross over from various industries yeah so the ch one of the biggest challenges in the role of a CISO is uh, where some jobs you own a particular part of the infrastructure you own a server you own applications you 
you as an engineer, you control run those things. Whereas um, when you're in a uh, security um, and CISO role, you don't directly control uh, what those owners are doing with those systems or applications. So your role is one of influence um, and uh, persuading people to do the right thing and to follow uh, policies and guidelines. And that's a very difficult um, thing to do, especially if you're, I mean, I don't believe technical people always have the best skill sets in the areas of influence and, and, <laughs> and kind of persuading people. Um, they're ten yeah. They tend to be more like, this is the way it needs to be. You got to do it this way. And it's a, it's more of a binary kind of right or wrong situation and uh you have to do it the right way or it, otherwise it's wrong um and mm -hmm. so that doesn't um a lot of times security teams their role is one of influence obviously they have some security tools they control themselves but that's not usually where the problems are the problems are getting other areas of the business or other technical owners to um do the patching or do the uh configure the systems properly or follow the policies around access control so that's the, probably in my mind one of the most challenging parts of security the other challenging part um is the threat environment is constantly changing uh and that puts you in a very uncertain uh situation on almost you know daily basis of what what new malware is going to be developed what new techniques are going to be used um and the other challenge is that these um hacker tools are being uh more commoditized so anybody can get them any it used to be you had to be at, to be a, a good hacker you develop your own tools and you you um that skill set you're smart you know you know how to do that you figure out weaknesses you develop tool sets around that to exploit the weaknesses in uh, today's environment, um, a lot of those tools are can be purchased on the dark web and are commoditized. And you don't need to know how to uh, craft a tool. You, you just need to know what I want, what you want to do. If you want to rent a botnet and execute a DDoS on somebody, you can do that. And you don't really. You just have to have money, and you just have to go out there and buy it. So it's really gonna make the threat environment even worse because now anybody can be a hacker and you don't have to really know what a lot to do that so so i think the threat environment and then the complexity and managing that complexity internally of of an enterprise or a company because um it is now a lot of companies are moving to cloud and SaaS based services so the complexity is increasing so you're trying to influence an increasingly complex environment and you're also, you know, trying to defend against a, a you know, a growing adversary or a more uh, an adversary that, uh, that could be anybody, could be anywhere. So those, um, those two factors um, make it very challenging. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, that is quite interesting to kind of, to put it that way. Um, because obviously because the landscape is, is changing and evolving so often and so frequently um how how do you and and, and CISOs in, in like your network that you're aware of how how do you proactively kind of stay ahead of the curve to ensure that your 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 business is kept safe you know it's, it's i'm not sure we ever have i'm not sure we are staying ahead of the curve i think 
we're doing the best we can. I think we are, um, we, I have a strong principle in uh, a strong belief that one of the best ways to at least be a fast follower or, you know, not fall too far behind is to actually have the best visibility into your environment you possibly can. When I mean visibility, I mean security visibility, have that ability to see what's going on and then to decipher whether that activity is good or bad and then to be able to respond to it. Obviously, you want to put good protections in where you can, but um, that isn't, things are just happening too quickly in the enterprise and you can't, uh, unfortunately, today stay up with everything as it changes. So the best you can do is catch it. Um, and again, I'm not saying don't put and don't work toward preventive measures, but but I know that that's, um, that's a never ending. Uh, you've got not just, you've got people in your company who may be doing things that they inadvertently um, cause problems. It's, it's mistakes, it's human error. I mean, those things um, hurt you as much as, you know, a hacker sometimes um, in terms of whether it was intentional or not, it still could be very bad press for the company. It could cause a lot of customer uh, challenges and notifications if someone accidentally leaks information, not intentionally. So there's like, um, yeah. there that having that visibility is to me the the number one thing you can do. Yeah, I guess who has access to what and at what times and and or when the crown jewel could be accessed or exposed and who's the right person that's overlooking that. Yeah. Also, I would say most companies don't good, do a very good job of controlling access. So um, how making sure that, you know, each of your employees has only the access they need. It's a fundamental principle in security, but, but we don't, in practice, don't do it very well. Um, principle of least privilege. We don't do that well. We tend to like give too, too many people too much access to data they don't really need. And it's because it's easier, it's harder to, you know, define roles and limit access. And there's this political aspect of where people feel they need access to data when they really don't, but they want the access to the data. To me, ac data, access to data is power um, in, in the modern company. And so people don't want to have their power limited by having reduced access to data. Um, and so this is that this is a challenge that the security teams are constantly dealing with. And but controlling access to the data is one of the best preventive measures that you can do, but it's it's also very challenging. Definitely. And obviously a way to impact the business's culture and to to bring out the more of a, a cybersecurity and risk awareness it has to come from the top, right? Oh yes, definitely. I mean, the most the uh, the companies where I've worked in and, and where I feel that security, the CEO has talked about security, um, and the the and this is where we get into the conversation of where where does the security leader report in the organization, um, and I think having that tone from the top and setting the culture and the values of the company has to come from the top around security and how, how will the CEO make the decision of, you know, choosing um, security over potentially, um, 
creating a more like maybe might be perceived as less flexible culture internally because maybe the CEO is saying, um, look, we are going to do a very strict access control structure in this company and you all are not going to get access to every bit of data you might want to have. There will be an exception process and we'll figure out how to, you know, work it if you absolutely need it. But that kind of communication coming from the top goes a long way. And then the other aspect of it, which is I believe that any company that truly cares about security, um, security is already a hot topic in boardrooms. Um, as you know, John, I sit on, a, I've sat on boards and I, um, and I've obviously presented to boards being uh, the CISO and yeah. um, the conversation of security is coming into the boardroom more and more. It's a top level conversation. Um, and and it, if for a company that has that kind of, um, you know, where they feel it's important enough or the board is talking about it, you have to have the security um, leader reporting to the highest level of the organization. And um, my fundamental belief, and I currently at one login report to the CEO, um, I believe that security leaders, where the companies where the com for companies that think security is a priority and, a, and really mean it, I think that the security leader needs to report to the CEO. Now, they might not be called a CISO, they might have a different title, but they yeah. lead security and they're accountable for security. And it's not the same when you, like, if you have the security leader reporting to like a CIO or a CTO, that's not the same. It's, you need them independent from, a, from so, so the security leader should not have any operational responsibilities other than managing their own security tools. And that gives them the independence to, um, to be transparent and talk about the security risks. When, when you're reporting to a, a boss, let's say a CIO, who also owns servers and operational elements that actually um, have vulnerabilities and represent risk, and you have the, C the CISO reporting into that CIO, what kind of position does that put that CISO in when they have to go to the board and they have to tell the board that there are all these risks that their boss has not fixed? How is that a, that is a political nightmare for the CISO? Um, and yeah. it's also, the CIO is not gonna appreciate that, that he or she is being told that somebody works for that individual is telling the board what they're not doing. So it, it really, uh, it undermine. it's a conflict of interest for the CISO and it really kind of, um, you know, you don't have a separation of duties. You have, and I've had situations where um, my, my colleagues of mine have told me that they prepared, um, you know, information to go to the board, and then their boss, who happened to be a CIO, um, basically modified that information because he didn't want that information to be shared with the board because it made him look bad. So this yeah. this is this is why companies this is why companies are having these really bad problems with breaches, and not. They they have security to they have security as a function in the leadership buried too far down in the organization, and they have people who don't want the bad things to be brought up to the board or the CEO. So that's why you have to pull this this function away from 
any leadership that owns other operational elements of the company. Yes, that's 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 such a good point. Um, it seems there's a bit of a, a sweeping it under the carpet um, for the presentation to the board um, when it comes to topics that are part of your jobs to to see so to to fix and to and to mit and to mitigate and to and to have um, to make business sense. What what would you say to to CISOs that are looking to get that buy-in at CEO level? Like, what would the what's the advantage to the CEO to having a second a second, third, or fourth person wherever you may sit, um, in the reporting line, but having another person report directly into them, um, because they may just be looking for to have as, as few people as possible report into them. Yeah, very good point. I mean, I understand that a lot of a lot of CEOs. I mean, you. I mean, the optimal number of people reporting to, I think the max is somewhere around eight people. So when you have more than that, it becomes really suboptimal. Um, I personally like five to six people reporting to me, um, but okay. but it's a very real issue. Um, but I also would say it, it just depends on how important the CEO believes uh, security is. So um, if you're a security company, so case of one login or you know any other security company sells a security product or service why would you not have the ciso reporting to you the ciso not only represents the security of your of like your internal company but also they are they are a voice of the customer at the top they utilize security tools and understand security technology the stuff that you're selling like why, to me, when you, the advantage for a CEO at a security company is you're gonna actually get the inside understanding of what all these um, buyers out there are experiencing. And, you're, and the CISO is a great representation of that. It's like, you know, they can tell you the perception, they can influence the market. And that's kind of what I do at Moen Login. I, am, I work with the product people, I work with marketing, I share with marketing what works with security buyers, what doesn't work with security. Again, my, my viewpoint, but, but yeah. you know, 18 years of viewpoint. So I, yeah. I, I talk to my colleagues, I know, I know what they, they complain to me about, and I'm not just not in general, not about the company one login, but just in general, the security space, they tell me. So like you have this great, like I call it voice of the customer there. And then you also have the ability to have your CISO take the products your company is introducing or thinking about introducing and, and trial them internally with your own security team. So like, um, this is to me it's a great benefit to have the CISO. Now on the other side, the CISO needs to be business minded. They need to not just talk about technology. They need to understand the business and revenue and financial productions and marketing and what's involved in marketing. So the CISO has a role to become more educated on the business aspects. Um, and, and I know some CISOs may not find that too interesting or don't want to do that. So to me, if you want to go and report to the CEO, you have to also become very versed on the business aspects. And so there's a requirement there. So, I gotcha. so for security companies, it's a no brainer. And for me, I would question any company that doesn't security company that doesn't have the CISO reporting to the CEO. Um, now for financial institutions um, and uh, let's say insurance, some more highly regulated institutions, there is a chief risk officer. 
a chief risk officer who doesn't own any operational risk. So they don't, so to me, that's, that is not a conflict because they don't, they have created a structure where the security function report is in an organization that is independent from the other operational elements. So I think that's a, that's a fine structure to report into the chief risk officer. Um, if you are an organization where your CTO is purely strategic and doesn't own any operational risk, that could be another structure that could work reporting to the CTO. The structures that don't work, and I, I don't, I don't, it, it really is not a good solution is reporting to the CIO or this, or the, or a CTO or a chief operating officer who has operational risk. So to me, that's the gauge. If the CEO looks at it, at his or her organization and he, and he or she sees that I have, I have security reporting to a function that owns all these servers and owns all these applications and they're buried in that organization to, to me, that's, that should be the bit of information right. they think about, not so much. Do I want them reporting to me? You know, and then the idea is, how do you get them into a, a structure? Let's just say you just can't take on any more people um, at direct reports. Then you have to figure out where can I move this individual and in their function to give them that independence to be able to really, because if they want to see the information, they have to get them away from a a boss that is going to potentially uh, stop that information from coming to the CEO. So, but, in, but there are challenges. If you move them to the general counsel, the challenge with the general counsel is they don't always have good, they don't understand the complexities of technology. And so that becomes um, a little hard, depending on the general counsel, to explain the issues because they obviously feel like, well, I need to understand this if I'm going to bring it to the CEO. Well, you can't just teach um, a general counsel. It's like trying to teach the CISO law, you know, in 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 a, a short span of time. You know, that's just it's a profession, and there's a lot of work. There's a lot of knowledge there that just can't be transmitted easily. So, so every structure has its pluses and minuses, and I'm not I'm not if if for sure, the CISO can't report to the CEO. They, you just need to figure out a place where they don't have a conflict of interest and there is some separation of duties. So yeah, I, I think uh, from someone of, of, of your experience and, and your background, you've obviously you've seen the cybersecurity market evolve and grow and it's gained a lot more publicity in, in ways of the, the skills gap is very, very well publicized albeit the number changes from 2 million to 4 million and uh, depends on what week you're looking at the statistics of um of, of va open vacancies around the world from your experience or or understanding of of the market what is the most crucial uh role for a business to hire for um it, it, i appreciate this is probably a bit of a tricky question but if they were to to make the biggest impact with a single hire around cybersecurity. Uh, that really depends on the size of the company and where they're at. So let me give you an example. Um, also, what what focus the company has. So sure. if a, if you've got a smaller company and they're focused on selling into the enterprise space, and let's say when I say smaller, less than a hundred employees, um, really, and then I would say, and let's just say they're focused in the enterprise space, and they're also like a software type based company where they have a 
high percentage of developers, let's say, in their in their company, then the one hire I would make would be um, the a very security skilled developer who could be put into the development organization to help them uh, learn how to do secure coding, act as a kind of evangelist or um, pushing the standards around secure code development and making sure that the, you know, the product is, is secure. So that, that would be my one hire. If, if I'm looking at a smaller business that's focused on maybe the consumer organization doesn't do as much consumer market, doesn't do as much um, development themselves, then I would hire a, a person who would focus on uh, privacy compliance because that's very important to the consumer. Privacy is important and you have to have a leader who's going to help, you know, lead, uh, kind of orchestrate that for the, for the business. Those, but that's on the smaller side. If you're, a, if you're, larger business uh, focused in enterprise. Um, I think it is very important to have a strong CISO leader that you can, you pull in and then we'll, they'll figure out how to, um, if, if they don't, let's just say for some reason, they don't get any headcount, but they would at least know how to run governance and they would know how to pull resources and uh, put a program together that other areas of the business had to perform the activities and then they would have more of a governance and oversight role to make sure those activities are happening. So they would task, you know, the engineering teams or they would task whatever, um, you know, uh, the IT team or like, you know, they would be able to kind of orchestrate a program. And I think that's an important, you know, function to, to, because you have more resources with a larger company, you're able to do that. So you need a leader, a stronger leader. When you're smaller, you don't have, you don't have the room for a CISO. It's like, you just need somebody who's going to go help the people doing the work, do it right. So, um, so those, those are kind of um, what I would, um, and I think privacy, privacy is becoming more and more important as well, as I mentioned with consumers. At some point, I think it will be the same kind of you know, GDPR has kind of been a model for privacy. Um, and I think in the US eventually, we're gonna have some kind of national privacy law. So, um, but eventually um, consumers are waking up and they're gonna, they're gonna uh, start demanding more privacy. Yeah, that, that is a really, really good answer. Um, very, all, very informative, I think. Uh, our followers and our network and community will take a lot from that. Um, but yeah, Vanessa, look, that, that's it. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat and, and, and run through some, uh, some of your experience and sharing your knowledge. Yeah, thanks, John. It was very, um, it's fun. It's fun to talk about this stuff. And uh... AI Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aulis offer an exec search program. All this can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. Get the Aldus advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all its members. And don't forget our AI on Action podcast. 
Each week we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career and more. Become an Aldis member and get the Aldis advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldis.com. That's www.aldis.com. Aldis International, empowering through AI.